What's up, and welcome to another exciting edition of Bearded B-Roll. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mike, just two bearded dudes here to chat about all the movies you love, hate, don't mind, or simply never heard of. I keep forgetting we have a pre-recorded intro, so I'm like expecting that, and then I'm like, it doesn't happen. All right, so today we've got a special Oscars edition of Bearded B-Roll, and we're going to be talking about the 2020 film Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand. I am saying her name right. So Nomadland is nominated for six Oscars this year. We've got uh, Best Picture, Best Actress for Frances McNorman, Best Director for Chloe Zhao, Best Adapted Screenplay, also written by the director, and Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. So, Wait, did the director write the, just the screenplay or she wrote the book too? She adapted the screenplay. Somebody named okay. Jessica something wrote the book. Actually, let's just give her a plug. Jessica something. Jessica Good something. Good job writing your book. Yes. We would have read it, but we watched the movie first. All right. So you want to say anything about the movie before I dive into the setting? You dive into the movie. All right. So the movie is set back in 2008 following the Great Recession. <laughs> I don't think it was that great. No, no. It, it was, was pretty okay. It was an okay recession, go. I guess. It was just like, all right. That's the depression. But I mean, it's up there. Unless you try and argue the fact like people were trying to argue at the time that it was a depression and we just kept saying recession as a way to like make everybody feel nice on the inside. I mean, I don't know if it was as bad as a depression. It wasn't like grapes of wrath. We weren't walking around with a broom sweeping up like dust and flour from a train car so we could try to make bread in our backyard. I mean, we weren't, but other people were. Fair enough. Um, so <laughs> this movie is This movie back. kind of pinpoints that exact thing. Like literally that lifestyle. Yeah, actually, you're right. Um, so it's also set in, uh, I guess, northern Nevada, because it says Nevada, but it's also cold and snowy. And I, I don't think that's something we really associate with southern Nevada. So well, I kept thinking this was like North Dakota or something. I didn't realize they were in Nevada. Yeah, no, they're, that's they're my bad. I did not pay attention to names <laughs> of things, apparently. I, mean, I really the thought the they. Day. Well, also because the fact that it seemed so bleak and cold, I put it in like a northern. Midwestern state. Well, I mean, Northern Nevada kind of gets up there. It's like you don't think of Northern California as being like snowy in the wintertime either, but you know, it is because we all just picture beaches and deserts. And no rain. <laughs> Ever. Never any rain. Seven seasons of uh, Sons of Anarchy, not one rainy day. All right. So, Francis McDormand stars in this movie. Um, what's your favorite Francis McDormand movie or role? Um, Burn After Reading. All right. Good choice. I know that's not what you wanted me to say, but that's definitely the one. What did, what did I want you to say? I don't know. Probably whatever you're about to say. I, I don't really have like a straight up favorite, favorite role for her. I mean, Fargo, obviously. That's what I thought you were going to say. She did play the mom in Almost Famous, which was a small role, but still entertaining. Mm. And she also played the wife of that guy that tried to swing with Nicolas Cage in Raising Arizona. Listen, it doesn't count as a role if you go, she played the wife of the guy. That isn't, that's, you can't be like, that's my favorite role, is when she played the wife of the guy. She's actually credited on IMDb as the wife of that guy. How many times did people come into Blockbuster, or sorry, any defunct video outlet, and ask the same question? Oh, do you have the movie with the guy who was in that thing, but he played the uh, husband of the woman who was the wife in that TV show about the aliens that came from the thing? For two, um, that was us. We called and asked those things. She was in Barton Fink, too. I mean, voice. it. It's a Coen Brothers movie, so I'm assuming she's she in was... Dark Man. No, she's in a lot of things that I 
She was was Julie in Darkman. She was like the woman that Liam Neeson was trying to get back with after his face got blown off. Yeah, I don't know. She's in Transformers? All right, that I don't remember at all. Was that the Shia LaBeouf one? No, whatever Dark Moon is, I don't think he was in that one. Oh, I only saw the first one. Isn't that the third one? I wouldn't know. Wasn't John Cena in one of them or, or not in one of them? I don't know. I stopped watching them. They're bad. Yeah, they are. The first one was kind of fun just because it took it out of the cartoon realm, but that doesn't make it a good movie. So now that I looked up movies that she was in, it's still definitely burn after reading. All right, so let's reconstruct real quick just the basic plot of Nomadland. We've got this poor woman, people. poor pe- right? Poor people, definitely people responding to the Great Recession or not so great recession of 2008. Um, the main character, pretty all right, recession. Dorman. The mediocre recession of 2008. All right, so basic plot, Nomadland. We've got Frances McDormand playing a character named Fern. Uh, She lives in a van. She's driving around. She does not have a lot of money or a steady job. She subsists on seasonal employment uh, following the Great Recession of 2008 or the Mediocre Recession of 2008. Is she retired? Because everybody else in it, they're doing it as a life choice, not a response to... The recession, but because they just are retired, but they take the same odd jobs. That's something I was confused about. Well, one, I'm not sure exactly what their like social security situation is for like the older folks. I don't think she is retired. Um, it doesn't seem like she has hardly any savings at all. Like she um, needs to get that work done to her van at one point, and she doesn't have any money to do it. So she more or less is responding to the fact that she used to have this good. Um, lifestyle living with her husband good job at a like a mining company that went under in 2008 and she just kind of never put her roots down anywhere after that happened and her husband died well it's because the whole town shut down right the whole town like was the mining company yeah like i didn't even know that stuff existed anymore but i guess it makes sense like the towns that are owned by like the companies that everybody works at because she lived in sense well, if you're going to put a town down in the middle of nowhere in a desert, you know, you kind of have to create all the amenities that your employees are going to need, right? Like you can't just have them driving 60 miles to get a carton of milk or something. So, I mean, it kind of... Mining towns are weird. Mining towns are weird. All right. So since the mining town shut down, we've got Fern on the road. Her husband died. I think it was of cancer or something. She still wears the ring. She never let that go. Uh, she has a storage facility in the town uh, that shut down or near the town that shut down. Where she keeps all the stuff from her house that she lived in with her husband, including um, a lot of his belongings, clothing, pictures, books, you know, everything that that represents her old life. Um, But she doesn't keep all of that with her in her van for obvious, you know, spatial reasons. She also has some dishes that are important to her that were none of them match. I don't think it's a matching set, right? No, her, her dad collected them from yard sales or something. And I think he, the goal was to eventually give her like, a full set of dishes from this sort of uh, mixed Yard match. Sale. Yeah. Um, and that was her high school graduation present, possibly. Wasn't it like a wedding gift? Uh, some type of gift for a significant event in her life. I think that's the main import. Here's a bunch of non-mashing dishes. You're welcome. Happy Ramadan. I don't Okay. So <laughs> do you give gifts for that? I don't know how that works. I, think you, I, I just think know that's, that's a current holiday right now that's happening. I think fasting is the the general like Ramadan thing. So that you dishes do. would be a good gift afterwards. No, I mean they don't like fast entirely for the period. It's like you're not allowed to eat from like sunrise to sundown or something. 
and then you're allowed to eat your dinner after that. Okay, this is unnecessary. <laughs> so basically, we've got Fern on the road, lives in her van, seems to enjoy her life in the van, even though it's a relatively solitary life. And she kind of meets people, has good conversations, and then never really stays with any one group of people or individual for too long. Well, she, she stayed at that one that. camp group for like a while. Wasn't that specifically roots there until they went to go find that like uh or was that was that the culty guy it was either before she went to the culty guy or or it was that's where that was no i think it was before because she that's where she worked at the rock thing well i don't think he was a culty guy i think he was sort of like let's a talk doomsday about prepper type guy let's talk thing. about that guy for a minute that was bob and um uh, bob sort of ran a little bit of a a camp commune boot camp sort of for living um in your van living on the road and he had a group of people that would occasionally meet in the desert i guess once a year to uh talk about where they've been what they've done talk about people they met and just learn basic skills like how to repair you know plug a tire or fix a hose or something in your car um but also it was sort of like, did like bartering too yeah, they would trade things they weren't using anymore with other people and try to get something they needed, um, like a swap meet. But it was also, it had a psychological purpose, right? Did it? Well, I mean, yeah, because he like kind of coached them in how to like cope with things too. But like he also like really promoted the lifestyle. This movie a lot plays like this lifestyle, like it's this this horrible thing, but a lot of the people in it are are choosing to do it. Like the one lady that she's friends with, this is what she wanted to do when she retired because she wanted to see the world. And I think it's like not that different than like, like the old retired couples that go out and buy an RV and then just travel mm-hmm. around. A van is a much cheaper option than an RV. But yeah, that's a good point. A lot of the people in it, you know, it's kind of been like a conscious life decision to sort of live this impermanent lifestyle to go uh, wherever you want, whenever you want, and just sort of be, you know, not necessarily put roots down, not try to create something I think she's the only one, only character that specifically has like the backstory of it being recession caused, doesn't she? I think she's the only one that they specifically allude to in that respect, but she's not the only one. Either they don't talk about it or like they say that this is what they did with their retirement money. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you have to think about how much the recession actually impacted that character. Like, why couldn't she just get a job as a receptionist somewhere else? Why couldn't she? do that so it's kind of like is her decision to be nomadic to not put down roots anywhere more the fact that she's trying to are we talking about the main character again what was her name in the movie fern fern are we talking about her again because i think it was kind of a choice for her because when she meets up with her sister her sister kind of has like this um like she she like kind of refers to her as being like aloof like that Mm-hmm. She says like, something like, "Why like were you for her? Why weren't you here when we needed you, or something?" Yeah. But she also said she admired her for her independence. So it's kind of like she's choosing this lifestyle, but she's not entirely like happy in this lifestyle to yeah. some extent. Like she wants something more, but I don't think she really knows what it is. But she's also hung up on. It's like it's her- like a movie about like searching for like what's going to put you down. That is a weird way. Well, I think it's a movie about like. With her husband, she was really happy, right? She had everything she ever wanted. She imagined herself growing old with that person and being with him until she died. But he checked out early, right? So now it's like, well, I already had everything I want. What the hell do I do now? 
one thing I, I mean, you know, movies like this always tend to have a lot of symbols in them and stuff, and not not necessarily this one. I mean, there's a lot to unpack, but I think the intentional, like I, the name of the character, Fern, I think was like really particular, you know, because like what is a fern, right? It's a plant that grows with a lot of other plants. Right. It's a plant that grows kind of anywhere, right? You can find it in forests in Pennsylvania. You can find it in like jungles in Costa Rica. But like mass quantity. I don't think that's my point. I don't point. get that reference, but. I think, I think I what guess. I'm saying is she can like theoretically put her roots down anywhere. You know, but she, she doesn't. Yeah. And then like when she does kind of like go back and stay with family, she's like not into it either. No, she's like super uncomfortable. She's like, what the hell am I doing here? Even if she is There's happy like being with the people. Yeah. There was a lot of, a lot of tension in this movie, even though like not a well, whole lot like happened. Just the whole movie, the movie has like this dread build up the whole time, even though nothing like terrible really happens, but you have like that sense of like, like something being wrong and uncomfortable yeah there's really even when she's like at peace you know there's something about maybe the lighting or the cinematography that still gives you sort of like well, a, the, the the lighting the whole time is like super bleak it's like um it's muted yeah oh, what what's his name it reminds me of like a gus van saints movie isn't it van zandt van zandt yeah sure that makes sense but it's like that that constant feeling of like unease even when nothing bad is happening. Yeah, it's weird. Like it's like a, everything's sort of um dulled too. Even like in the desert, you know, like you're going to see bright colors, you're going to see rocks, you're going to see but it's like you know, gray, like it's cloudy out. Yeah, it's like movie. washed out. Even though obviously we know it's not cloudy, it's still cloudy. Yeah. Um all right, so what did you think of the movie? Like what did you actually like about it? I liked the uncomfortable feeling uh but i don't it didn't really leave me with anything either like i was just like that was an okay movie it it did its job at building like this this kind of tension that you feel the whole time but other than that like i didn't really there wasn't there wasn't a lot to it i mean there's not a lot of dialogue so there's not a lot of like conversation you can go back on it's kind of just like watching someone live this life that kind of sucks but like seems like that's what they want to be doing that's true i mean i think a lot of the the more memorable parts for me especially in terms of like people speaking it's usually the other really, characters. yeah it wasn't fern right it was like when swanky gives her description of watching all the birds you know diving out of the nests and she gets really into her uh i don't, I don't want to say ramble but i mean she starts like telling the story and she's like there when she's telling it you know and she, this is like Obviously, a like very the beautiful old lady that like talks shit on her for not knowing how to change a tire. That's the same person. All right, cool. I didn't know her name. I just remember that part and be like, ah. <laughs> I mean, I really, like, though, you if you're gonna fuck live up in a my van. whole day, yeah, I know. But it was like the the concept of like we're friends, but you're fucking up my whole day right now. Well, she had the pirate flag up. She had that's like the do not disturb sign. She could have been doing anything in there. She could have been having happy time. And you know, and then we got this girl like, hey, I need a new tire. Everyone in this movie was of retirement age, just about. <laughs> they all got discounts when they went out to eat. That's true. The only like younger people that were in it were like that David's one stoner kid, and yeah, the one like stoner kid that she met like twice who gave her a he gave her a lighter. Which I thought that that was going to be like a, a still got her groove back part, and then that never turned into anything. Like I, they had like that one moment where they connected, and I was like, oh okay, so they're gonna like hook up. 
not her and the old guy. It's gonna be her and this kid, and then uh, just do you have a do you have a girlfriend? I have some. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I liked about it, though. It it defied a lot of movie conventions you know like when she meets david you're like oh he's gonna be a love interest for her and like it kind of is to some extent but it never really goes anywhere and i think you know a lot of times in life we have isn't there like an implication at the end of though that like they did get together when he like invites her to stay and then it kind of seems like she's getting off the road it's unclear she's just driving at the end i thought it the way it seemed was like she got rid of a lot of her stuff at the end and it seemed like that meant she was gonna like settle down I don't well, know. That's I mean, what I took from that ending. If we're going to talk about the ending specifically, and I agree with you in, in most of that, when she talked to, I think it was to David, about the house that she lived in with her husband, you know, she described how they had a great placement of their company house, right? They could look out their back door, they could look out and see the desert for as far as it went till it got to the mountains. And there was nothing stopping them, right? She could just look out and see this like vast expanse of like nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end, you know, she finally gets rid of the husband's stuff in the storage facility um, that she's been holding on to, but mostly because she's just not ready to give it up emotionally because it's still her like connection to him. And then at the end, she revisits the home that they had together and it's sad and it's depressing and there's no furniture and it's just cold and empty. But then she walks out the back door and just kind of walks that, that direction where she said that she could, you know, see forever. And I kind of interpreted that as like a literal, there's nothing holding her back now. Like that's how she described it before, and now she's walking that path she described. So it um, is her letting go of like all the crap that was holding her back, or just making her live in the past. And you know, like a, I guess I might have might have missed that. I mean, I have a short attention span, and this movie didn't hold it very great because there's like moments where there's just a lot of nothing happening, no conversation, nothing. It was just like busy work, like watching someone do the dishes. And I mean, literally, that's what that was happening. <laughs> well, I mean, it was in its subtlety, though. Like, it mixed, like, completely. Like I said, I didn't hate it. I just, it wasn't like a movie that I'm going to be like, oh, that was great. It was like a movie where I'm like, that was okay. No, I, I understand the meaning and what any... it was saying, but, like, that was like that. It didn't really lock me into anything. There were no, like, big standout, like, emotional scenes or something, which is kind of what you wait for in a movie like this. So it was very, just like yeah, the colors in the movie, was... it was very muted. There's no like break in her personality or like like a moment of like, oh cool, I'm gonna like change or anything. It was just kinda like, yeah, that's my life. Well, I think that was the part at the end though, right? Her finally giving up the the one thing that I was kinda irritated about that I couldn't quite see. Um, I really thought, like even though that like even with that though, that's not like like no what's the thing? The the closure closure. No, the like Epiphany? God in the machine type moment, yeah. I don't know, you couldn't tell at the end when she's driving away, you can't quite see her hands, so it's not clear if she's still wearing the wedding ring, yeah. which I feel like was kind of an important like piece in it, because they brought it up a bunch of times before. Um, and I feel like her... She really hated her husband. I don't think that was what we were supposed to get out of it. Yeah, she resented him. For dying. Yeah. But I mean, that wasn't his fault. He was terribly ill. Could have tried harder. He could have tried harder. To not be dead. Yeah, I mean, I feel you like a lot of people... I try to not be dead? I try all the time. It was a little hard, I guess. I think I just go go on not being dead. <laughs> just without even thinking about it? That's like, I'm sure one day I'm going to fuck that up and just not be able to pull it off, but I, like right now I just <laughs> just kind of letting it do its thing, you know? So, like, 
I see why it got Oscar nominated, and that's because I feel like the only kind of movies that do are these ones where like normal people are just like, wow, that was really dry. And then the Oscar people are like, that was fantastic. I'm dripping wet. <laughs> I mean, it's, it it's, always seems to go that way. And it always seems to be like they pick these movies and then you look at the reviews and the only people that liked them were them. And all the movies that everybody else wanted to win that like other people liked were like critically panned. That's fair. But I mean, sometimes movies are critically panned for like an entirely good reason. And then other times we have movies that are like held up on a pedestal because of like the topic that it was about. Like if you have a movie that's about, I don't know, movies at the Oscars overall tend to be focused more on muted plots, right? There's never anything like super big. And if there is, it's not like graphic, like, you know, Gladiator won best picture in 2000, I think, but it had almost no blood in it or sex. And when you compare that to something like Spartacus on, I guess it was Showtime, it's like the complete polar opposite of that because that's all blood and sex. I mean, there are other dramas where people are like more involved or not involved, but maybe like emotionally distraught or screaming at each other or like losing their shit. I mean, not that those movies don't get nominated for Oscars or win Oscars. Like A Marriage Story was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, I think. But whenever I think of like Oscar movies, it's like Life is Beautiful, this, and like American Beauty and stuff like that, where it's just like, for whatever reason, they always pick these movies that are super uncomfortable. Like, that's the main feeling that it comes with. But then also just kind of like, like bland. Hey, I didn't think American Beauty was bland. I thought there was a lot going on in there. But I think the main point is that for the most part, the Oscars tend to focus on movies that make you think. And Nomadland, it's really easy to miss it. You know, like it's really easy to just watch it. Like if you watch this as background noise while you were like doing something else, like if you were doing dishes and watching Nomadland, you know, you'd finish it. Like what the hell did I just watch? It was somebody driving around in a van and like sitting by a fire for two hours. But when you actually like sit down and pay attention to the nuances of it, you know, there's like, I don't know, there's a lot to unpack, even though. No, like I, I, I got that from it, but it was like, like the like I said, like the main thing in it was like the feeling it gave you more than any of what the plot was actually saying. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I felt uncomfortable the whole time. I was like, Ugh. and it made me feel like dirty and gross because like the I well for me the idea of living in a van and like never showering is like horrifying. Why would you never shower? Because it's not as easy to come by. I'm a person that showers every day. <laughs> I already. I think they bring it up that they don't shower every day in the movie. I thought they talked about. And doesn't she take a bath in like a sink at one point? I mean, hell, I do that at home sometimes if I don't feel like hopping all the way in the shower. No, that is a horrible way to live your life. Look, I already thought about this a lot. If I lived in a van, I know this is a lifestyle that you are very pro, and that's why I thought that it was funny because this movie puts it in such a negative light. Like they make it seem like these people are all destitute and like something wrong with them psychologically. For some reason, I feel like that movie kind of builds up that idea. Like they're all damaged. I liked it a lot, but that was my main problem with it. Yeah. Everybody is damaged, which somehow implies that this lifestyle, this decision not to put roots down, not to own a home or rent a home, but to live in a van is somehow something you only do when you're like incredibly fucked up or like you've exhausted all other avenues. There's nobody that has like a really awesome, like pimped out van with like hardwood floors or anything, you know, hashtag. No, and like that scene where they go and they look at the RVs and it's like this weird, sad pipe dream thing. And it's like, really? Like, like they, it's like, 
when you see like like a, like a, a film where like a bunch of people who who have less like visit like a mansion for some reason and they like act all like weird and i don't know i don't know the right words to describe that but like yeah like no, that it, the way they portrayed like, them was like weird like trailer trashy in like yeah that's right like they were looking at this rv like oh my god we can never have anything like this and i guess they can't because rvs are like ridiculously expensive but you know like you could get impractical even just to like try even if you had the money for the rv the impracticability of like driving that around paying for like places to park it paying for gas for it all the time would be horrible and then like you can't really just park on the side of the road and like be like oh i'm gonna go get dinner now yeah, it's a big vehicle. Like people are going to notice when it's parked somewhere. At least a van you can like, you know, park in a 24-hour Walmart parking lot and nobody'll say a word. Well, she tried that, remember? Like maybe not, well, not a Walmart, but she was in like, something, yeah, and they're like, "You can't park here." Yeah, but I'm saying if you were at like a 24-hour Walmart, there'd be like 50 other cars in the parking lot, half of them employee cars and nobody would really notice you. She was like yeah. the one van parked outside of a gas station in bumfuck nowhere. <laughs> and that also brings me to another point. One it's really not like super expensive. If you already have the van, you can outfit it any number of ways to make it be nice. You know, you could put a little chemical toilet in there. You'd have propane. You could have running water. You could have a little couch area. You could have compartments. Speaking of the toilets, when they brought up the toilets, that was another thing. I was like, I can't live this life. No, there, there are toilets you can, you can, they're a little pricey, but you can crap yeah. in them and then they like seal everything in a bag and like vacuum like the seal. you get for camping, but yeah. Exactly. But um, also, what is the point of like living somewhere cold if you're sleeping in a van. Why didn't she just drive a little farther south? I mean, she could go to Florida, she could go to Texas, she can go to Arizona, New Mexico. Right, that was always like my thing. Like if I ever like ended up without a home, I was like, I'll probably just travel somewhere west where there's like it's warmer year round. Yeah, like if I'm gonna be homeless, I'd rather be homeless on like Venice Beach than in like, you know, Boston in February. That's the other thing, though. The movie implies they're homeless, but this is like they're not. This is what they want to live because she has an argument with her sister mm-hmm. or somebody when they say she's homeless. And or no, was it? It was the girl, the daughter of the woman that was sort of like being insulting to her in the very beginning. She yeah. was like being judgy, and the the daughter was like, "My mom says you're homeless," and she said, "Oh, I'm I'm houseless." That's not quite the same thing, is it? Yeah, and I agree with that. That's also implying like anybody that has like any kind of home that's not a house is like homeless then. Yeah. And it's like, imagine like people, that's because people like, they all want the same thing. You know, they want the house in the good neighborhood. They want to have the dog. They want to have the two kids. And then, you know, they end up not being happy anyway, because this is like the lie that was sold to them. They grew up thinking like, all right, if I have this, I made it. I'm a functioning adult and like, I don't need anything else. Yeah. And then they have like massive debt for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I mean, when you're, you know, when you have a house that, I don't know, costs $300,000 and you're making $1,500 a month monthly payments on it for the next 30 years, um, you basically just put yourself in prison. Yeah. And then your hot water heater goes and you have to pay $1,500 for that too, and whatever, whatever goes. Yeah. And you go, yeah. And, you know, you could pay it off faster if you had enough excess money to like overpay your mortgage every month. But no, you but spend- they penalize you for that too. That's the other thing. You can't just pay off your mortgage early. No, no, you can overpay your mortgage, uh, and it actually does save you some money. Yeah, well, that's because you're beating your APR, but but well, I yeah. mean, like a lot of the times, if you pay it off too early, then they're gonna charge you for that too. Basically, you're fucked no matter what you do. Yeah, and that's not that much better of a lifestyle than like, well, I'm just gonna live by the means that I need, and then try and be happy for. It. But like, yeah, this movie definitely implies that that's 
that's the wrong path. And that's my problem with it, because there was a totally like different movie in there where we followed a different character who was just like enjoying their like if that movie had been about like the swanky character instead of about Fern, you know, and it like ended with her seeing all the birds flying off, the second most beautiful moment of her life, then we would have been It's just some old lady living her best old lady life. Yeah. She was like pretty content, you know? Well, yeah. And she wasn't like struggling. She was just like, I sold all my stuff. I retired. I'm getting retirement checks. I pick up these odd jobs just because. To keep herself entertained. Yeah. And then she was like, and she was doing it because she didn't want to die trapped in a house in debt. Like, I think that she specifically says it at one point. Kind of like people like to have a lot of shit, you know, like where somebody dies and you have to spend like two weeks going through all their belongings to like determine what's important and what was trash. I just helped a friend move, and I he had way too much stuff, and I was like, man, there's so much stuff. And like that's I mean, many these people have that, you know what I mean? Like they have a van. You either. I mean, technically, when we first met, I was sort of living out of my van because I barely stayed at my house. I was like in my car or like at other people's houses all the time. It's because you thought your mother was going to eat you. I mean, my mom might have eaten me. Maybe just a little bit. You've spoken to my mom. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't terrifying. Like, I was, like, kicked out when I was, like, 17, so I kind of did this, too, but, like, I don't know. I still crashed with, like, other people's houses most of the time. I didn't really sleep in my car, but, like, that's where all of my stuff was, so I know the idea of just having a backpack full of things and being like, this is all I need. I had to have kids before I started having stuff. What is the movie where Al Pacino says, never have more than whatever you can cake in, like, 30 seconds to leave? That wasn't Al Pacino. Who said it? Well, Robert De Niro said it. What movie was that? In Heat, which also featured Al Pacino. I was right then, because that's the movie I thought it was the first time Like I said something about that recently. What does he say? Never have anything in your life that you can't... You can't walk away from in 60 seconds or something. In thir- like that. 30 seconds when you spot the heat around the corner. Yeah. That was a good I movie. still pretty much have like that. Uh, all right, so... We got like super off track, but you know what? It's a movie that like wants you to be off track. It's hard to just talk about this That That is plot. a good... That is a good pitch. <laughs> like, uh, it's a movie about people being off track and living off the track. Right? It's Technically, a movie... they're living on the track because if the road is a track and that's where they're spending all their time. But like, no, but yeah, also like, it, it, it implies that she doesn't have a community, but at the same time, the reality is she does because she follows this one community around for a while. Like she stays near her friends, even though they don't stay in one spot. Or she like catches up with that other woman when they have the um, the job working at that um, the rock place. Yeah, Linda. I guess it was a it was a resort for like camping, which that was right. weird because was it like camping or was that like a resort for people that live there? Because like everybody seemed to live there, and then there was like this implication that like some of those people were just camping when like that guy came by and he was like, "Oh, do you guys have like whatever for my daughter? It's her birthday," and I was like. That seems a rude way to talk to people, but like also realistic. Well, I think it was one of those places where you can either rent a space or live there. Like if somebody has an RV or a van or something and they want to stay in a designated area for, you know, a week and they need parking, they're going to stay there. They're going to pay for the electricity and like the water that's available at that place. But I guess people also live there too. Okay. Yeah. I was like confused. I was like, is this like a, like a living RV park or is this just like regular one? But that makes sense then. All right, so is this movie relevant to today? No. <laughs> this is relevant to 2008's recession. We are completely uh, uh, flush with money 
in our current economic situation. You mean because they keep sending it to us? Yeah, man. So rich. Nice. Too bad you don't have like a stack of bills you can fan in front of I mean, microphone. it's not like it's not like during the, the, the recession we got a bunch of stimulus checks or anything like that. Nothing similar at all. There was one, right? Or was it, it was two? Like, there was at least two. <laughs> I remember they were like, oh, take this money and go buy stuff. Help uh, grow the economy. And I was like, no, I'm going to take it and put it in my bank account. Yeah, that's what a bunch of people did. It really made everybody mad because they're like, the economy's not better. We just gave away money. But also we're thinking about people being like responsible with money, which we know a lot of people are not. They definitely weren't. I'm sure a lot of people tried to go out and hunt down a PS5 and a new gaming chair as soon as they got their last stimulus check. It is so hard to talk about this movie. I know. Like there's it's it's so weird because it's like it's not bad. It's a good movie. I'd watch it again. I'd tell other people to watch it. But at the same time, if they're like describe it i'm gonna be like um there's a woman there's a lady and she lives in a van and she's like kind of okay with it but she's also kind of not okay with it let's try to (laughs) let's after that glowing recommendation let's try to round it off what was your favorite part of the movie or like most i know we talked about this in the beginning but i don't think we really nailed down an answer um what's the most memorable scene or character or the part where the old lady shits all over her because she doesn't know how to change a tire, and she's like, "You're gonna die." That's your favorite. That was the. That was what gave you. That the was warm the most memorable part. No, that was the most memorable part. Nothing gave me warm and fuzzies. The whole movie made me just feel bad. All right, fair but enough. That part, I was like, I like this lady because that's the truth. She just told her. The she truth. just like mothered the fuck out of her, basically. Yeah, because like at the time you're like, oh, you she's yelling at her. That's not nice. But then at the same time you're like, she probably know how to change a tire though. Now she should definitely know how to change or have a like spare if you're going to be on the road your whole life. So what about David, the the possible maybe love interest, David? I mean, I I like that actor. I find him like his voice very calming. He to me in the movie seemed like he was kind of like he was kind of just running away from his family. Like he was kind of like a deadbeat dad from what it seemed. Uh, and he then definitely, yeah. he, he wasn't really doing it for like the same reasons. Like he was, it wasn't the lifestyle he was about. He was just kind of like running away from his family. And then he's like easily just like back into it when his son's like, I forgive you. He was like, yeah, I don't give a shit about this life. Right. Yeah, no, he, he like immediately went back into that lifestyle. He like stopped taking care of his van. He didn't even realize that like he had a flat tire on it. Yeah. He immediately abandoned it. That was, was an like, alternative for him. Stay with me. Yeah, he was like, don't you want to be a part of this this life too and, and just be here with my family that I don't even know and their new baby? It'll be She's great. Like, nah. She's like, I can't even stay at my sister's house for three days. I don't know if I can do this forever. My favorite character was Bob, the uh, living on your own in a van guru guy. The doomsday prophet. Well, when he has like the personal conversation with Fern where she talks about her husband being dead and he kind of reveals a little bit about himself talking about how his um, son had taken his own life and I mean, that was a good scene, yeah, but like, there was, that was like a touching moment. Yeah, I mean, it was, but it was like... I just like that other lady better. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm saying like this actor, I thought, or I don't even know if he's an actor or a guy that actually like lives in a van. I think there was a little bit of crossover in the casting. Really? You think yeah, he was just like an actual van expert? I don't know. I was reading trivia for this or something where like, I mean, like Swanky's real name is Swanky. Linda's real name is Linda. These people were never in any other movies. They might just be van life people. But like I was reading some trivia about it, where one that of the- actually all right that I could get behind for it being like an Oscar thing then because that's cool because the one thing you always hear about with like movies being like problematic movies is like when they're like oh this movie's like gonna shed a light on autism and then like 
no one in the cast has autism. And it's like, mm, that's kind of someone cosplaying someone with autism. That's a little fucked up. I mean, I feel like every movie does that, though, when there's a character who like doesn't have any legs. They actually yeah, have but legs. like all right. So there was a show that I watched that was about that. Oh man, I don't remember the name. And like they had a problem with it in the first season. So in the second season, they adjust it, and a lot more of the cast was like actually like people that had autism, like made up for it. Mm-hmm. And that season was a lot more well received than the first one. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of movies irritate me. What was that movie about the kid who had like the scars all over his face and he wore like a spaceman helmet? Oh, I don't remember. That kid really had that though, right? No, it was some kid that they put like, like five hours of you know like facial prosthetics on to make him look like he had something wrong with him. Or I like feel a, bad because that makeup was really good then. My question is like, why can't? And I know there's probably not always a person with like that exact disability who's willing to like audition for a movie, but wouldn't it make more sense for people to at least you know, put it out there? Yeah, like for people who actually have that condition or that disability to be able to play that part, especially if you're like putting your thing out there as like, oh, I'm a voice for this because like. No, you're not. If you're just trying to make all money off of it. Yeah, you're kind of just, what's the word? It starts with an S. I have no idea. Negative ideas on what you No, it does not start with an S. I'm trying to think of the word exploitation. Starts with an S. Exploiting them. You're just exploiting all these people. That's just not right. All right. So let's talk about the ending. What did you think of the ending? She just drives away. So I was confused. I don't think I paid that much attention at the end because I was bored. Not going to lie. Did you know it so was the I, end, or did you I thought, look up and see credits? I think I just looked up and saw credits. Because I was under the implication that when she talked to Bob and then she went to her home, that she was like, I'm going to settle down now. And you said that that's not the feeling you got from that. She left again. Yeah, so, yeah, I didn't know she left again. Because she kind of was like, yeah. And, well, I thought she did. Be like, yeah. I, You're my new daddy. I saw that as her just saying, like, goodbye to the house and goodbye to her memories of it and like her old life like finally letting it go yeah and then she was just on her way to bob she was like all right now i'm gonna go bob i'm getting a new husband do you mean david david bob whatever man they're totally different random there were like random basic white man name (laughs) insert here (laughs) all right so uh indie movie this is basically an indie movie. I don't care what the budget was. I don't care how many famous people the you put in it. The budget was $50 billion. No. What makes it an indie movie? Because if, if it's produced by a major company, it is not an indie movie, even if the director is brand new. Indie movies have sort of shifted. Like, originally, indie movie meant, um, you know, you're scraping by on like... Are you implying that an indie movie now is just a style of movie? Yes. I'm implying that indie movie has shifted from an actual like financial categorization like you know like you have clerks right it was made on a shoestring budget kevin smith sold his like entire comic book collection to fund the movie what does that they mean because a shoestring is really cheap it's really easy to buy shoestrings like <laughs> a dollar man like if a budget if they made a movie with a dollar for a dollar that'd be impressive i mean i feel like you could make when a you movie make for a, a movie for a million dollars and you're like oh, i had a shoestring budget i'm like cool can i have half a shoestring please if somebody's gonna pay vin diesel like five million dollars for saying I am Groot twice in a movie, then that I think he says it one time and then they just like <laughs> record that and replay it a bunch well, of times. Anything compared to that is a shoestring. So, like, but like, indie used to mean that. Like, what was it? Strangers in Paradise was another one. Some of these movies were shot on black and white film because they couldn't afford color film because stuff was still on film at this time. Like, that was an indie movie. It wasn't about a style. It wasn't about. People copied it later. They would make movies in black and white to try to give it like an indie feel, but it was by like a studio that could afford 
real film cameras with color and like, yeah, they were trying to fit the style. So at some point, indie shifted to a style. And this movie is definitely an indie movie in that context. And it basically ends in your like quintessential new wave indie movie feel. I mean, Clerks ends very definitively, right? It ends with that girl effing the dead guy in the bathroom and then Dante's alone because he broke up with his girlfriend who was the only person that was like actually nice to him the whole time. So that's like a definitive ending. But now we have... Is that supposed to be the takeaway at the end of that movie? <laughs> I didn't know that was the main premise. I just no, thought that was their... a part of the movie. <laughs> like, no, the whole movie the whole is movie, about a girl doing The whole movie is about oh, shit. Dante being unhappy, but also being responsible for his own unhappiness, right? He hates working at the store, but he doesn't do anything to better his life to get a different job. He's unhappy with his girlfriend because he's like idealizing this other girl, even though his girlfriend is the only one that's being nice to him. And Silent Bob says it perfectly with like the one line he has in that movie. Well, Dante's thinking like, did I do the right thing? And Silent Bob says, look, man, not a lot of girls are going to bring lasagna to work, but most of them are just going to cheat on you because earlier Dante's girlfriend had brought him lasagna. And so like that, that to me was like one of the main takeaways. But indie movies now, they, they end like this movie. You know, they're very like subdued. They're somber, almost like a, like a really chill dream while you're going through them, like not a lot of like impactful moments. And then they always end with a question. Always. What was the question? Will she settle down? Will she not settle down? We don't know. She's just driving away in a van. Will she go back to David? Did she finally did she finally move on with her life? And it reminds me of like Lost in Translation. Remember that one? No, I never Oh, well, it's directed that by movie. Sofia Coppola, stars Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray. I feel like it was 2003 and without giving too much away, it just ends with somebody whispering something in someone's ear and we never find out what they said. That was one of those and like they still do it, but they don't do it as much. But one of those weird movies where they get like a hot young actress and then she's like, "Oh yeah, you're totally in love with this super well, old guy." Well, it wasn't guy. necessarily And that's one of the things I liked about Lost in Translation. It wasn't like a straight up like love situation. It wasn't like she had a boyfriend there. That was the reason she was in Tokyo. Her boyfriend was a famous photographer or something. And he was off doing a shoot and like left her alone in the hotel room. So she's like, what the hell do I do now? And then she bumps into Bill Murray, who is basically playing a different version of himself, like a kind of a washed up actor. I mean, he's had a resurgence in recent years, but kind of a washed up actor who's only popular in like Japan. And he's there to film like some, some scotch commercials, basically. Um, and he bumps into her and they both connect over their like loneliness. But again, it ends with a question. What did she say? What did she tell him? Your PB's too big. I heard that that's actually what it was. From who? Bill Murray. Or did you tell Bill Murray his penis was too big? We had an email chat back and forth one time when I was like, hey, Bill Murray, what did you say in that movie? He was like, I said what I said because you could hear it, but this is what she said. Bill Murray didn't say it, though. I know. That's what I just said. All right. So. (laughs) I'm so confused. I think that pretty uh, pretty much wraps up Nomadland episode, even though, again, it's a really hard movie to talk about. It's kind of a hard movie to watch. Listen, the movie the movie ends exactly how this is going to end, and that's like right. very confused. And so our main takeaway is: don't watch Nomadland if you're tired. If you like your life. All right, so I think that wraps up Nomadland. Now that we're all like depressed and sad, which kind of is what the movie makes you feel. So that's totally on point. All right, check us out next. We're going to be talking about Midsummer from 2009. 2019. And is this where I should insert the follow us on Twitter and Instagram thing? Yeah, this is going great. Keep going. Yeah, the yeah um was like my favorite part so far. Keep going. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bearded B-Roll and look for us anywhere you can find podcasts. Feel free to send us ideas for topics at beardedbroll at gmail.com. I did it. Did the thing. That's what she said.
on to the next one.